My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Well, folks, the circus has come to Truvo. The Seal family brought their three-ring ghillie to a field just north of us, the big top rising near 40 feet. Tall enough, I'd say, for patrons to thrill and chill to acrobats and tightrope walkers. No shortcuts when it comes to entertainment, not for those seals. Jolly clowns and tiny automobiles and lion tamers, brave as you please. Brave, I say, for they carry naught but moxie and a whip against deadly fang and claw. And don't forget those trick cycles. No, sir. Spinning like whirligigs round the globe of death. Praying centrifugal force ain't just a rumor. Why, there's even a real calliope, ladies and gentlemen, piping a tune to brighten even the glummest heart. And the whole shebang in the iron grip of a ringmaster, his bright red coat a beacon of joy. A Truvo tradition is the circus. Now, I was but ten when it first raised canvas, and I haven't missed a show since. And, dear listeners, the ardor impassioned by this spectacle has not changed a whit with the passing years. Not a scintilla, I say, save for one exception. A single perquisitor, if you will. For the liberal hunter, long the enemy of our American heritage, struck even the Seal family some years back, struck him hard, impelling a beloved stalwart to vanish from the midway. To what do I allude, friends? Why, the freak show, of course. That astonishing display of corporeal eccentricities. The bearded lady, the fat man, the armless wonder et al. The lot of them put out to pasture, folks, by the same gang who brought you the Americans with Disabilities Act. Why, even the pickled punks, carny lingo for monster young'uns in a jar, went extinct. Well, tell me, you blue state do-gooders, ain't sadness a disability? Because it debilitated my jubilance when the dog boy decamped. Such was my state of mind as I squeezed my pickup twixt a Silverado and a Jeep and joined the throng headed for the red and white striped canvas. But lo, what did Farmer Gray espy? A conjuries huddled before a trailer, a trailer crowned with a wide white banner displaying in tall red letters, Exhibition of Human Oddities. Well, thinks I, could it be? Has the appetition for exuberance abrogated the scourge of political correctness? I joined the throng to see for myself as the, as the barker, a fine fat fellow in straw hat and striped vest, bid us enter that we might behold, quote, the cruelest aberrations in all Christendom, unquote. Well, no further solicitation was needed, not for a multitude hungering for the divertisement only miscreation could afford. So each of us paid a fin that we might enter the sanctum sanctorum and gaze upon the curiosities behind those corrugated steel walls. Once within, we were greeted by a heavy black curtain, a valence hiding, the barbaker promised, terrors to stand our hair on end. Our first monstrosity, ladies and gentlemen, said he, will incite paroxysms of fear. Gaze, if you will, upon nature's mistake. Francis, the man with one leg shorter than the other. 
and from the back of the curtain strides this fella. He strides out, and doggone it, the gent does have a bit of a limp, so I guess it was no lie. See, friends, says the barker, as Francis paces back and forth. Observe closely, as he perambulates like no normal man, because truly he is no normal man. And with that, he holds up a piece of paper and exclaims, Think it a humbug? Well, I possess proof, documentation from our scientific community that this is 100% genuine, written testimony from a board-certified MD that Francis's left leg is a full quarter inch shorter than his right. The crowd stood quietly, politely even. Ah, says the barker, I see you are stunned into silence. Not really, came a voice, which I recognized as belonging to Mitch Everhart from the hardware store. Say, mister, pipes a young'un, why don't you use a cane? Don't need one, says the unfortunate Francis. I just pop an orthotic into my shoe after the show, and then I walk pretty normal. That's right, chimes the barker. Technology to the rescue. But at what cost, folks? For the cure has turned him half machine. It's just a thin lift, says Francis. Get back, ye cyborg, returns the barker, hurrying his exhibit behind the curtain. And that was just the aperitif, announces he, for we've greater afflictions from with which to astound. Friends, prepare yourself and cover your children's eyes, because I now present to you Hank. And out steps a six-footer in a snappy sport coat. Hank, cries the barker, the man with a crease in his earlobe. And with that, Hank turns his head and leans forward, displaying what was indeed a significant auricular furrow. See, friends, coos the barker, that's a feature seen in a minority of the population. A minority! So don't expect to be standing beside this horrific deformation at your local grocery store. Hey, says Dale Clemmer, owner of our local grocery store. I got a crease in my earlobe. Me too, says Emmett Flagg, president of the Improved Order of Heptisophs. I might have one of those, says Davy Lee Turner, volunteer fireman and father of six, but I can't see because my ears are on the side of my head. So his wife, surrounded by their listless progeny, gandered at his right lobe. No, says she, you ain't special. Hey, calls a gent in a backward baseball cap. You got babies in a bottle back there? Uh, no, says our host, pushing Hank through the curtain. But we've got something better, something to astound you, cause you to doubt your own sanity, and make you hold your loved ones tight. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jeffrey, the man who shouldn't be alive. And there appeared before us said fella, short and stout, probably 220 pounds, he sported brown slacks and a white T-shirt tucked in, his bald pate shrouded by a comb-over. "'Tell us about yourself, Jeffrey,' says the barker, flashing a sly grin. "'Well,' says the little man, "'as you say, my name is Jeffrey. I'm from the Buckeye State, and I enjoy a spirited game of rummy, trivial pursuit, and salsa with chips. Plenty hot, if you please.' "'I see,' says the barker. "'And what else should we know?' Oh, says Jeffrey, I have a cholesterol level of 300. 300, folks, cries the barker. That's not normal. That's not even high normal. No, sir, that's just high. Sky high. And what are the consequences of this anomaly, you poor monster? I'm at a somewhat increased risk for heart disease, says Jeffrey. 
Exactly, says the barker. What you're seeing, friends, is no less than the living dead. Actually, replies Geoffrey, my doctor says if I watch what I eat, I might bring it down below 240. But you're not going to, are you, spouts the barker. Not with that love of salsa and chips. I guess not, says Geoffrey, the third to disappear as he vanished behind the curtain. Now mark me, says the barker. You think those were scary? No, uh, not really, replied the crowd. Well, he says, I've got something to turn even the most jaded among you pale white. Make the rest look humdrum. They were humdrum, says Dale. Maybe to you, says the barker, a freak with an ear crease. But this aberration, this one, will make even you tremble in your size tens. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present Wilbur, the fellow with a small mouth. And out pops Wilbur, and I will say, true to the barker's word, the man did indeed have a somewhat smaller mouth than his usual. Please, friends, pleads Wilbur, struggling to be heard twixt lips too close together, do not fear me, for I suffer from a scourge that might befall you at any time. And what's that, says the barker, who had obviously heard the answer hundreds of times. Congenital microstomia, answers Wilbur, an unusually petite oral aperture. Now hold on, says a young man in glasses, whom I recognize to be Jamie Talbot, a graduate of Hines Community College and the town intellectual. Congenital means you're born with it, so it can't befall us at any time. Now, if it was acquired microstomia, shut up, Poindexter, says a pugnacious Wilbur. You've got macrostomia, a big mouth. Sorry, folks, says the barker, hurrying Wilbur behind the curtain. His affliction makes him disputatious. Better to look like me, calls Wilbur from the back of the drape, than you, you jerks. Speak up, calls Davy Lee. Can't barely hear you with that tiny mouth. And the crowd roared, only to be greeted with an anguished cry from the butt of that jibe. Then the barker, well, he did something unexpected, catching us unawares. For all of a sudden he burst into tears, his shoulders shaking as he wailed. I know it's a lame show, but it's all they gave me to work with. Can't find the real human oddities because they're all getting corrective surgery, office jobs, and reality shows. Well, we started feeling awfully sorry for him and for our own insouciance. It weren't so bad, says the gent in the backward baseball cap. I mean... I can't think of anything worse than one leg a quarter inch shorter than the other. Having to wear a lift every day? How would I live? And a crease in the ear, says Dale. Why, I know firsthand the hardship born of such bodily corruption. Been an uphill battle all my days. You should be proud of yourself, Emmett tells the barker, giving succor to such hapless and ill-starred wretches. High cholesterol? A little mouth? Where would such people live if it weren't for you? In the shadows, says Mitch Everhart, on the margins of society. So three cheers for the barker. And with that, we all of us joined in a triple chorus of hip, hip, hooray. Well, the barker dabbed his eyes and blew his nose, a grateful target of our spontaneous display. Thank you, says he, a catch in his voice. All I ever wanted was to exploit God's accidents for profit, and you've made that dream a reality. The show over, we patrons headed toward the big top, this time to a new chorus, the thump-thumping lub-dub of the big beating heart of Truvo. Yes, sir. 
I was listening to the pickups radio on my way into town, was heading there for my weekly stock-up at Clemmer's Value Food, Ethan Clemmer, Jr., proprietor. Once upon a time, my lovely wife, Elspeth, executed such chores, but with her still hiding in the storm cellar, which you will recall she occupies in fear of North Korean aggression, only my assumption of this womanly devoir has staved off the hunger pangs. So I drove and I listened, specifically to the network news feed, transmitted courtesy of the Zare County Station, broadcasting from its facility above the sandwich shop off Highway 315. And the journalist told a tale, a tale of a New York City international toy fair, teeming with goo-gaws for the household moppet. Snap togethers and light em ups and drive em rounds, even a drive em round that went straight up a wall. Can you imagine? And real type dollies, but fictile, see? And plastic heroes and ersatz weaponry? Enough gym cracks and bibelots to empty even the wealthiest purse? That's what they had. Yes, said the announcer, playthings galore to occupy any child's day. That's what the toy fair's all about. Oh, thinks I. Is that the exposition's objective? Frivolous occupation of callow youth via store-bought trifles. Well, then, if a surfeit of leisure plagues our striplings, perhaps I should proffer recourse to those costly diversions. But what alternative might I provide in this our modern world? So I cerebrated, pondering amusements to beguile the little ones, and then it struck me. Why, I've got the finest playground in all the Mid-South right here beneath my feet. I speak of Gray Farm, of course. Gray Farm, agrarian paradise and Truvo's pride. Gray Farm, warm center of the Confederate breadbasket. Gray Farm, whose rich soil and pregnant fields I have, in light of said brainstorm, officially redubbed Farmer Gray's Funtime Freehold an appellation befitting a childhood Eden where requiescence gains no purchase, now open for business at reasonable exactions. But Farmer Gray queries anxious mama. We know you are the consummate agronomist, but how might you indulge my delicate darling, whose frail frame is accustomed only to gentle play with the most exquisite baubles? Well, worry not, kind ma'am, for Farmer Gray's is a kindly place, with every activity devised with your pampered progeny in mind. Why, your frangible dear will participate in such exquisitries as the 500-yard bucket hall, the 10-cord wood chop, the 12-acre plow pull, and, of course, the 100-nest coop clean. That last one's fit for the littlest tykes. And don't forget the stall shoveling championship, featuring all the manure a child might carry. Why, at Farmer Gray's, no youngin' will endure the scourge of respite. And mealtime, your picky ear will feast on boiled okra and black beans, washed down with a jug of sweet, sweet crick water, for such as like steak and soda pop after a fun day of labor at dawn to dusk. And when at last chores are done, those rough-hewn boards whereupon they lay will feel soft as goose down, so heavily will the sandman dispense his macadam. Oh, and fear not for your scion's safety, because Farmer Grays will be installing barbed wire at all borders, ensuring that no camper accidentally wanders off property, an innovation that will make Funtime Freehold a truly inescapable pleasure. So, folks... 
for less than the price of a Space Wars shiny sword or whatever, sign your nippers up today for this once-in-a-lifetime or entire lifetime adventure. You won't regret it, and I guarantee you'll never hear your children voice regret either. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 